Hi, everyone. Welcome to this magical growing and healing space. A space where two Black women discuss the intersectionalities of how we show up in this world. Strong, resilient, and described as anomalies in a world that is dictated that we should not be here. I'm Danielle. And I'm Dom. We bring you Two Black Unicorns. This is a show where we allow ourselves to explore who we were, who we're becoming, and who we want to be unapologetically. We are leaning into new experiences and have realized that it is exhausting to be so polished and perfect and always having to meet societal norms. We are unmasking who we are authentically and we're redefining who society has dictated that we should be. We've made the conscious and intentional decision to alleviate some of this pressure and just show up as we are. So here we are in all of our beautiful imperfections and we want you along on this journey with us. Welcome. This is our first episode. How are you it feeling? Is. I feel good. After that intro is like, okay, we're in it now. You know, leading up to it, I was like, okay, it's like it's like playing double dutch. You know, <laughs> when are you gonna just 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 jump in the rope? You may get slapped in the face with the rope, you may get in and you may kill it. So just jump in the rope. So we're in it right now. We're in it. I always say. Uh, my spouse, Trevor, well, I'm sure we'll talk about a lot in this journey, uh, pushes me out of open windows. And um, that's another analogy is kind of that double dutch. Um, but yeah, let's just do it and, and figure this thing out as we go. Yes. And that's what are we that's what we're doing. And um, if you're expecting anything else, um, this may not be the podcast for you because um, as as we mentioned before, like we have shown up polished and perfect and crossing all of our T's and dotting all of our I's for a long time in motherhood and being a wife and being a, a career woman and, you know, just just relationships and dealing with past trauma and just still having to just be this superwoman. And this is not the place that we're wearing our cape. This is the place where we are healing. We are, we are talking about it. We are communicating. We are being vulnerable. And we are being unapologetically ourselves. Let's start off with introductions. So um, yes. just that our audience can kind of get to know who we are. So yeah, I'll start. Uh, my name is Danielle Bill, and I am married to my high school sweetheart. We have been married for six years uh, this past February, but have actually been together um, for, I think, 27 years now. We are high school sweethearts, and um, I have a daughter um, who is not his, who is going to be 23 this June. And I, we share a four-year-old who we are absolutely obsessed with. A little bit of background about, about myself is I um, went to Cal State Long Beach and I majored in child development and psychology because I always knew that I wanted to work with children. And my road to um, going to college, which was unconventional, but, but we'll get to that. It took me seven years to graduate. 
I had a minor in sign language interpreting. Uh, back then they called it communicative disorders and with an emphasis in sign language. So I am also, I used to be a sign language interpreter. I don't practice anymore as much, um, but that took me seven years um, to finish. And then I went on to obtain my master's degree in teaching with an emphasis in deaf and hard of hearing studies and a focus in ABA, applied behavior analysis. And currently I am finishing up my doctorate degree in clinical psychology with a specialty in trauma work. So that's kind of my education. I have been working in the field of behavior analysis as um, a behavior analyst for 23 years uh, in May and have been very proud of my career and proud of the service that I've um, provided to the community. Um, it shaped uh, who I've become as a woman, as a professional and as a mother. Um, and so I'm really, really thankful when I look back on my journey, which I'm sure we're going to dive into at some point. So right now I own my own agency um, with my co-owner uh, called Loving Hands, where we provide services to underserved communities. Uh, we provide behavioral health services. We are incorporating mental health services as I finish up my degree. I am finishing my dissertation on um, resiliency in Black women in America who've suffered childhood trauma. Yeah, that's a little bit about my background. Uh, tell us a little bit about yours, Dom. I love that introduction, by the way. I'm just, I'm like over here fangirling you. Like, yes, please tell me more about everything that you're doing. I did not know you got your master's in teaching. Yep, I I, I wasn't planning on going to college at all, but because I was serving in the field, um, I had a job that said that in order for me to keep my position as a supervisor um, in school districts that I had to get my master's. So I went back and didn't want it to be um, not useful. So I, I looked for a deaf and hard of hearing program. I found one. Um, and so, yeah, that's how I ended up with my master's in teaching uh, with a focus on deaf and hard of hearing studies. That is so cool. And I'm, and I'm sure we'll talk more about deaf and hard of hearing and American Sign Language as we go further along, because I'm so interested in that language. And I sign only a little bit, but um, I don't I don't know. It's 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 something that's just so interesting to me. But I guess I'll start. Hi, everyone. My name is Dom. I'm Dom Shorter Taylor. I am a board certified behavior analyst. I'm from Chicago. I am also married. I am, we are going on what, five years of marriage this year. Um, I am the mother of three children. I am, I have a blended family. Uh, when my husband and I met, he had a daughter. I had a son. Till the one day when the lady met his fellow, you know the story. So then we have a three-year-old together and, you know, just mother, motherhood just looks differently now. I think there are a lot of blended families now and just seeing it done differently and just in a, in a fun way has been really, really interesting for me. Um, I went to, I got my undergrad at South Carolina State University, which is an HBCU, um, go Bulldogs, and I got my undergrad degree in psychology. My junior year there, I got pregnant 
with my son, Christian. So I was a band student. I was on a band scholarship four years and I was pregnant. So I was that pregnant girl on campus marching in the band. And then, you know, then I had my, my, my baby with me with my stroller going to band practice and stuff like that. So that was a little non-traditional as well. But um, I think it really shaped my path from, from there on because I don't know, I felt like, well, if I'm going to be a mother, if I'm going to be a, mo- a young mother, um, an unwed mother, um, then I have to be the best mother. So I have to immediately go back and, and get my master's. So I got my master's in psychology because I, I wanted, I, I felt probably some shame associated with, with that and just having a, a child at a very young age and um, all that, that came with that. So it just really fueled me to um, just propel in a way that I would make my son proud. Um, so then I got into the field of, I was a case manager, which is working with adults with developmental disabilities and um, um, autism and just a range of diagnoses. And I, I just really fell in love with the population, especially yeah. working with adults. And um, through that experience, it really opened my eyes to neurological differences and how brains can work differently and behaviors are, are different. And I was able to identify some, some signs and characteristics in my own son, um, who was also later diagnosed with autism. So uh, a lot of people ask, well, how did you get in the field? Did you become a BCBA because your son, you know, was autistic? And I said, no, that had nothing to do with it. I feel like it was divine interaction because yeah. it really happened simultaneously. And I felt like if I hadn't done one, I may not have seen the other. Right. Um, so that that in itself is, is another in, inter, interesting journey um, that just makes up who I am. Um, I share a little bit of that journey on my YouTube vlog. I started a YouTube vlog about a year or so ago down the BCBA mom, where I just wanted to share my unique experience. And, um, as, as a mom of a child with autism, as a single mom at, at one point, as a, um, a mom that, you know, Although I was in the field of, of mental health and I was providing mental mental health services and I had clients and I did everything that I was supposed to do for them, um, I wasn't supported in my own community or in my own decisions to just address my, my son's mental health right. and to address the diagnosis that, you know, that are associated with him. So it's 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 a lot of layers to my intersectionality, yeah. I guess, in, in so many words. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so like all of this is, you know, just me, you know, introducing myself that may look different tomorrow or mm-hmm. the next day, because I'm learning more about myself every single day. And sometimes I look back and I was like, wow, I was a crappy mom back then, but look how I've grown. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I should not have done that back then. But you know, so I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm at a place right now where I am trying to be transparent and I'm trying to mentor through just me being transparent and sharing my story. I've, we, we, we mentioned in the, in the um, intro that we 
have had to mask a lot. I I've, I've also come with a, from a very religious home, a very religious background. I'm a PK. Uh, my my granddad was a pastor. My my mom is a minister. A lot of ministers in my family. Because of that, it comes just just a lot of pressure to be perfect and mm. just being. Um, you know, just being a girl growing up, being dark skinned, being black, you know, living in the suburbs, not being black enough, talking to white, not talk, you know, just, just everyone telling me, do this, don't do that. You can't be funny. You can't be corny. You have to be sexy. You have to be smart. You can't, you know, so I am every single day, Danielle, I'm literally finding out who is this person named Dom. And I'm trying to just show up in that as that person every day. Yeah. I, I think there are so many, um, reasons why we came together. Um, you mentioned divine intervention, you know, is kind of the source of it. But I think one of the first things that stood out was that you were, um, a mom in college, you got pregnant in college and I got pregnant my first semester. Um, and I talk about this more comfortably now as I've aged and my daughter is now going Mm -hmm. to be 23. Um, but I got pregnant my very first semester. I mean, the, the school hadn't even started. So I was in the dorms with a growing belly. Um, and I can understand, you know, the stroller and having to take your baby. Um, (laughs) and simultaneously my mom had died that same year. So I had a new baby and an 11 year old brother that I was just kind of carting around with me everywhere. But I think that shaped, um, so much of, of who I, who I was and who I, you know, am becoming. And, and even now it's still, um, is something I work through in my mentorship and, and I kind of lead with how I overcame that time because it's not, I mean, I know, you know, this, it's not easy trying to finish school, um, with a newborn baby. And, and you also mentioned not knowing how to, or, you know, that you were, not a good mom at times. And I think back and I cringe at some of the decisions I made as a young mom, um, but have now since accepted that as being a part of the journey. Right. And, and, who, yes. and, and how I show up now intentionally with, you know, my now husband and my new daughter, um, you know, and even the children that I serve. So I can completely understand that. So um, kind of going into, let's kind of like just get to know each other um, a little bit more. So um, you talked about what you did for work and how you got into the field. I will talk about how I got into the field a little bit. Um, So we are behavior analysts, and this just means that we study human behavior, um, and then we affect behavior change for typically children with autism, but over the course of my career, it's been in a bunch of different capacities. And so, um, and wait, and just in case you're wondering, yes, we do analyze your behavior every time you're around us. We're constantly taking data. (laughs) We can't help it, but we're not judging you. It's just for data collection. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's right. People always like when they find out what I do, like, and I'm like, yes, I saw you, I saw what you did and I'm analyzing that data and I'm coming up with the behavior plan. Um, and when you've done it for 23 years, like I have, it just is instinctual. Um, but yeah, when I was, um, 19, I was pregnant. I needed a job. Um, and I answered a call. There was this like platform called monster track. I think, I don't even know if, if 
you know, our audience will know what that was. I'm aging myself, but it was this online kind of job search engine. Um, and there were all these calls to work with children with autism. I had no clue what autism was, um, but I knew I wanted to work with children. And so I answered this call, met with the mom, was very pregnant when I showed up for my first interview. Um, her little boy was in the middle of a tantrum and uh, he had run out of the house as I was pulling up to the house. Um, she had run after him. She was like, stop him. And so I was running with a very big belly, um, ran down the street, chased him, kind of tussled in the street, brought him back home. And she was like, you're hired. Within two weeks, I was carrying a 40 hour case where I learned everything I needed to know about autism. Back then, um, we didn't have these agencies. The parents, I was an independent contractor with the local regional center. And uh, the parents would hire the staff and they would get a stipend and then pay us. And so, like I said, I was an independent contractor. I had my baby, um, came back to work for the family with a newborn baby. So while I was delivering DTT, um, which are, is the type of therapy that, that we provided um, our children back then, I had a newborn and I was nursing her and going to school um, and just kind of doing all the things, trying to figure out, but loved what I did. And for the first time in my life, um, the work that I was doing in autism specifically as a behavior analyst um, was giving me purpose and it was shaping kind of my life. And I really, really enjoyed working with the children that I was serving. So that's how I, how I got into the field and fell in love with it very, very quickly. So let's just talk about really quickly, because I don't know how many people have experienced this and we just like brushed over it. Like, oh, as I was nursing my baby with a full caseload and going to school. So I, I, I had a very similar story. Um, I had my son um, going into senior year. So that, that last semester, I absolutely had a newborn. But then even when I went, when I came back home, I moved back home to Chicago and I, my very first job, I worked at Olive Garden as a server. I love mm -hmm. the experience of being a server because it just teaches you um, how quickly positive reinforcement really works. But right. anyway, <laughs> and um, it, it, I mean, I, I literally had to pull on a little bit of everybody. So it's like, okay, I had my dad, I was living with my dad and my stepmom at the time. And I was like, okay, dad. So, um, I need you to have him on Tuesdays and Thursdays when I go to my, my master's program. And then on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I work in the morning at this other job that I was entry level with. And then, you know, I'm young. So I still felt like I had to have a life, mm -hmm, you know, and I mm -hmm. still wanted to have a, you know, just, just, just friends. And it was just like this, this orchestra of whatever that was going on. And anytime I would tell someone my story that, you know, I had a newborn, that I was in a master's program and that I was working two jobs, they would like, look at me like, what are you powered on? <laughs> like, what is this? And that was such it, a thing. You just come to work looking cute because I'm just like really in a fashion. I feel like if you feel good, I mean, if you look good, you feel good. Mm -hmm. And that was just always something that I really, really value. So it was just like, who is this person showing up, like we said, polished and perfect? Yeah. And on the inside, I feel like it was like a little slow drip. It, of like, right. this is too much. 
like I feel like my inside was like, excuse me, girl. Hey, slow down. Yeah. You know, yep. you yep. know I love yeah. you and all, but and now in my in my 30s, that voice is like, girl. If you don't sit yourself down, yeah. you don't have some problems. Well, I think a big part of this, Dom, is, you know, I reflect on this a lot, you know, as I'm going through this 18 years later with, with my new baby, um, mm-hmm. even this, you know, concept of like postpartum and, and you mm-hmm. know, and, and depression mm-hmm. and, and all this mental health oh. stigma that comes with being a new mom. I don't know that I could access any of that when I was 19. So here I was like first generation college student on a living on a campus in the dorms pregnant, right? Like my first semester with, you know, I wasn't in the best relationship. Um, it was pretty emotionally taxing. Uh, I want to say abusive. Mm-hmm. I, I use that right. term, um, cautiously, but in hindsight, what we know of trauma and abuse, that it was emotionally and psychologically yeah. abusive. Um, there was a stigma attached to it. My mom, you know, who had her own mental health struggles, she struggled with addiction her entire life up until she died, um, had me at 19. And so I was, I felt this pressure of, oh my gosh, if I don't, you know, do something different, I'm going to end up just like her, which was at that point and still... Um, to this day, I think one of my biggest fears was, was that I was going to end up like her, an addict and, and really struggling to just ground, you know, to find safe grounding. Um, and so here I am pregnant, not really having resources. I, I had his family who, again, was not very supportive in the capacity that I needed. Um, and really struggled with that. You know, I remember sitting um, in college and we did this orientation and the, I don't know, the Dean of students, whoever it was, was talking to us and, and made this speech. And she said, look to your left and look to your right. And she was like, out of the three of you guys, only one of you guys are going to, you know, graduate. And I remember thinking like, it's not going to be me. I'm not made for college. This isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. And here I am like a doctorate student, which is a whole nother kind of episode. But yes, this idea that we still had to show up. And at that point, I didn't think about anything other than I don't want to be with my, uh, like my mom. So I just got to show up. So if that meant bringing my babies to school with me by babies, I mean, my brother and my newborn, um, and nursing at work because I didn't want to get fired because I couldn't do the job or, you know, whatever it was, I always was like, I have a baby. This is who I am. Right. Like I, I, I showed up in the world with this baby and later with my little brother, this is what I have to offer. This is the work I'm willing to do, but these are contingencies that are attached to me. Um, I wasn't able to work through any mental health issues that came up. I don't even think I could identify them. There was, there just simply was not that choice, Dom, right? There was not a choice to show up any other way, but fully present with all my baggage. And let me show you, I can still get this job done. Wow. Okay. So I have so many questions to that. Um, but recently I was, I was just telling my therapist, it's like, why is it that when I was younger, I feel like I can take more or I went through more and it didn't affect me, but now it's like taking a toll on my body. And I think you really hit the nail on the head. It's like, I didn't have time to process it right. at the time. 
It was a lot going on. I wasn't probably even mentally developed enough to identify like, this is abuse. This is a toxic mm-hmm. relationship. Mm-hmm. This is this is not normal. We were normalizing too much. But I guess my question to you is, because this is how we had to show up, this is my baby, this is who I am, do you feel like you had to show up harder than everyone else? Or do you feel like you had to settle because you came with baggage or you came with something that most people your age didn't have. Yeah. So I think it was the first I had to show up, um, because I did not want the stigma. I did not want people to know who my mom was. Right. Cause if they knew that she was an addict, mm-hmm. that they were going to judge me. Right. Um, and then when I got pregnant and everyone knew, and all of my friends were going out and partying and being 18 and 19 year olds. And here I am literally the first semester walking around campus, literally like everyone looking at me, this was unheard of, you know, 23 years ago in the dorms with a very gregarious, he, you know, her dad, and, and just, you know, everyone knew who he was. He was from the city. Like, so, you know, he was very popular and here I, this, you know, girl from Victorville. And so I had the stigma that like, if people knew who I really was, and this makes me emotional still, as I'm talking about it, people really knew where I came from, or if they knew my trauma, you know, because I had a lot of childhood trauma, um, they're going to think, very low of me. And I think that was embedded very early on. And so anything that I did from that point was like, I'm going to show you, like, I can't go back home to Victor because then they're going to be right. I can't, you know, I can't make the wrong move because then it's going to prove them right. Like, and so I think for me, it was a matter of, I do not want to play into this stereotype. I do not want this stigma to define who I am. If, that happens, I will end up exactly like Gloria. And for me, that just was not an option. So yeah, I think I had no other choice, Dom. Wow. No, you, oh my gosh, that, that really reminded me of, so I grew up in like the suburbs of Chicago, but the high school that I went to, it was like a hit or miss. Mm -hmm. Um, Not a lot of people went to college. If they did, they went to community college it just so happens that I was in the band. Drumline came out right around that time. And I was mm-hmm. like, no, I'm going to college. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. And um, when I went away, it was almost like, no, I can't, I can't go back home. I can't fall into that stereotype or that right. stigma that everyone from this high school is pregnant at the age of 16 because that was mm-hmm. very popular at my high school. And I felt like because I did, I, because I made it out of high school, without being pregnant, that was a stamp of approval. So let's celebrate me. And so when I went away to college, honestly, I didn't even think I would graduate. I just knew that I wanted to take a step further and actually get there. And once I got there and I got into, once I got there, I, I realized how alone I was. I didn't go to college away with anyone. South Carolina and Chicago are 900 miles away. Everyone else was going home on the weekends and fall break. And it was, it was very difficult. So I felt helpless to stay in very toxic relationships Mm -hmm. or very toxic situations because I was so far from home. I felt alone. And when I got pregnant, 
um, of course I had to show up even, mm-hmm. even harder. harder. Um, yeah, just, or, or just, just even being in a very competitive band. If you've ever seen any, um, HBCU bands, it's very mm-hmm. competitive. It's very stressful. Like they do not exaggerate. You are practicing every single night wow. from six o'clock, sometimes until 2 a.m., five days a week, you're traveling on the weekends, you're still expected to get your work done. And then you are trying to navigate being a teenager, a 19 year old, a 20 year old. um, So yeah, sometimes you just have to survive. You know, I didn't want to go back home. I didn't want to, I knew that if I went back home, I wouldn't graduate. Mm -hmm. That's what my mom said. Yeah. And she wasn't trying to be hurtful when she said it, but she said, she said, Nico, you have to stay at that school and you have to graduate. So my mom was a first generation um, college student. I was the second. I, she was the only person I knew in my family that went. And she was the only one, just go and do. Yeah. And I didn't really want to, I didn't tell her everything that was going on in college mm-hmm. because she was the only one rooting for me to just stay there. So I stayed awesome. and we just have to, we just, you know, I felt like I, I, I survived and it made me the person that I am. Right now, because that that resiliency just stayed with me in my career. Yeah. Well, you bring up such a good point. Like you have this model that you could kind of move in. Right. Like I think the expectation for you was having a mom who was like, I created this path so that you could, you know, so that I can shape this for you. And I think for me, I didn't, I had nothing. I had no structure. I didn't even want to go to college. Like I, you know, I met a woman in high school, um, who basically shipped me off to college. She, she bought me luggage. She filled out my college applications. I, I picked the school, um, and she dropped me off and said, literally be great. And then I got pregnant. So there was this disappointment that I felt, um, you know, having to tell her and my mom that I was pregnant. Um, again, three months. Cause I, I did a summer program that led into, because I was behind in credits and, um, you know, I, I struggle with, with learning new skills and I struggled as a student, um, as a result of my trauma. And so education has always been difficult for me. And so I did this, um, interim program in the summer, uh, messed around with the boy, got pregnant at the start of the school year. And so I had to tell them very early on, I knew that I was pregnant, but I had, I didn't have that model, Dom. I didn't have, there was, my mom told me like, you're never going to make it. Like my mom dropped out of high school. Um, my dad didn't graduate from high school. Um, and so when I say I'm first generation, like I'm, I'm literally like fighting every generational barrier, which I'm sure we're going to talk to it talk about at some point, but I did not have this model. And so for me, you know, I hear you're saying like, I had to be great. My mom was there saying like, you can be great. And I paved this road for you where I really had to like pave my own road. And that was difficult because I had systems. I I had this generation. Um, My mom was telling me, you're never going to make it. Um, And when I ended up pregnant, see, you're going to end up just like me. Um, and if it wasn't for Mrs. Shellcroft, who, you know, I, I owe a lot of who I am today. She's, she's now my girl's godmother and, and is like a mother figure to me saying, no matter what, Danielle, you keep going. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's very interesting kind of when we talk about motivation and when we talk about resilience, 
how that shaped. And I can see the, the dichotomy and you having a model um, and me not having one, but still pushing forward and being motivated just to, just to finish, just to continue on. Right. So I, I, I think that's so interesting because everyone has their own barrier. And some people have like huge mountains that they are climbing. So there's like, there, there's a difference having someone rooting for you. Like, okay, yes, do this. You got it. I believe in you. And also facing the barriers that just are within society, but then also having someone saying, no, I am actually fighting against you doing that. Right. And you still reaching the same result, if not better. I think the other part of that is like, I didn't have structure and I didn't have like this model, but once I got pregnant and I say this all the time, that's what gave me structure. And then I found ABA. That's what gave me structure. And that's what made me think, let me start thinking about what my life is going to look like. Let me start being intentional because before that I was completely oblivious because I never had a foundation. I never had anything that I could look towards and say, this is what you're supposed to do. Right. And so my baby, like I literally say, like, if you you know, see, you're like a friend of mine on, on social media. Like I literally say that my daughter saved my life because she gave me structure. And then when I had my brother, it was like, if I don't change like these, what we call generational curses, if I don't change this, they're going to like suffer the same thing that I had to. And that was not an option for me. So yeah, that was, that was how I became intentional was having this baby and saying, I do not want her to go down the same road that I, that I had to go down, go down. I agree with you. Even as a young mother, I knew that, okay, yes, I'm young. I don't have a lot of resources, but like me, just, just, just growing up, I was really a, um, uh, I just love TV. I love like mm-hmm. sitcoms. I love these picture perfect families with the mom and the dad and the brothers and the sisters and yep. they, they sit and they have picnics. Like, I just, I, I, I love that type of stuff. So even though I didn't have a lot of resources and I knew like the odds were against me, there were little things that identified as my value in being a mother. Yes. And yeah. even with my, with my second child, those values have changed because my kids are eight years apart. Um, but that, that, like, like, like you said, I guess I never put it that way that they saved my life, but they Mm -hmm. definitely changed my Mm -hmm. life Mm -hmm. because I, I mean, that, that is the ultimate sacrifice. Maybe even before then I was, I would be even considered selfish (laughs) before, before having my, um, children, but whatever it is, like whatever that value is, you know, even if it's not motherhood, even if it's just getting that degree or that education or just having peace within like your own mind because you have just racing thoughts, you know, just whatever that value is, just have that to help get you to the, to the next level. Because, you know, just like I said before, you know, sometimes I felt like, man, I was, I was a horrible parent at first. I was this and that, but that was just the resources that I had at the time. Mm -hmm. That was the circumstances. Mm -hmm. And the more that I learn and meet people like you and network and actually talk about this trauma and not mask it, you know, my values change. So now one of the things that I 
value most of all is like peace. Like I pray yes. for peace yes. every day because I used to take it for granted. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's just something that like that my values change. Yeah. Well, you like bring up such a good point and kind of just even identifying like, this is who I was when I first became a parent. And mm-hmm. again, I think for me, it was a little bit different because once I, I became like once I found out I was pregnant, which was very early on, I mean, I knew almost immediately that I was pregnant. I, I had always been very in tune with my body and knew immediately. Right? <laughs> um, yeah. And that's a whole story that even when I was telling people that I was pregnant before I actually got the results, I went to the doctor and said, Hey, I think I'm four weeks pregnant. And they were like, you can't wow. even tell. Yeah. They were like, you can't even tell. And again, I'm, I'm this young child. And sure enough, I took the, the, the test and the blood work and they were like, yep, you're four weeks. Um, which was very early, even, you know, for the doctors. But as soon as I found out, I knew like that I had to be purposeful. And I knew that I had always wanted children, specifically little girls, because, and I knew that I wanted to work with children because I had identified early on my trauma. I always knew about my trauma. Um, I always knew what was going on and how I felt about it. Um, I didn't have the reflection that I do have now about it. And I wasn't able to make the connections, but I knew that I wanted to be better, a better mother than I had. And I knew this is making me emotional already. I knew that I wanted to protect my children, my daughters, um, in a way that I wasn't protected. Um, and so from the moment I found out I was pregnant, like my whole MO was to protect her, even in the relationship that I was in. Um, and even when I decided to leave the relationship at six weeks, because I knew that we could not sustain this level of intensity, um, and toxicity in the relationship, it was all for my daughter. And so again, like every, from the moment I found out I was pregnant, like every decision I made was for her benefit. Like, and I, I, I don't want to say I was a, a bad mom or that I made bad choices because again, I was really intentional about what I was doing and how it would affect her. And I think that's God. I don't know where that came from other than I think my own trauma, she cannot be exposed to anything that I was exposed to. Um, And so for that piece, I was very, very, very intentional with, and I thank God that I had that insight and wisdom at 19, 20 years old. um, Because I think if I didn't have that, then she could have very well ended up in the exact same situation that I grew up in. You're absolutely right. And it's interesting how we can actually make the choice to stop those generational it's curses. Crazy. It's crazy. Yes. And I'm not and sometimes we don't know that we have that much power. People don't want to tell you like you know like diabetes doesn't have to be hereditary. It's a choice right. to have a certain lifestyle or this doesn't have to be hereditary or this doesn't have to impact your life the way it impacted that person's life if you decide to address it differently um except except instead of just accepting it is for what it is like this is just what we do or black people don't do that or black people just have to endure that or you know, you had a baby out of wedlock this is what you deserve right you know right right That's exactly right. I think along with that, like, 
I had found the church, you know, within that same year. And so I had Mm -hmm. guidance and I had already started building this community, um, which to this day, I think is instrumental in kind of surviving and this, you know, concept of resiliency that you and I talk about a lot and, and kind of how we got to where we are. Uh, but establishing this community that helps kind of inform those decisions. I don't know if you have this. It sounds like you did with your mom. And, um, and even if it was just like, don't, don't make the wrong choice, right? Like I fought too hard. Like I always tell my daughter, like I worked too hard for you to like be out in the world acting a fool. Yes. Right? Like, I don't know if your mom was similar, yes. but I'm like, I worked way too hard for you to be a fool. Like, I don't, you can make the decisions you want. You don't have to go to school, but like you were not be out here, you know, acting a fool. And so I thank God that I, I had developed this community of people who were not blood related to me, um, mm. who showed me what love looked like and showed me what, um, what being, you know, loved, looked like. And, you know, I, I have a book that was just, that's pre, you know, that I'm pre-selling now where I talk about. Yes. Some of the, yes I'm a published author. I forgot. To, yes, I, we forgot, didn't I, forgot I forgot to, to, to say that in my introduction. Um, it's Ms. just, it's, Dr. Danielle. Yeah. And yes, yes. And so I talk about that, like, you know, cause people ask me all the time, how did you survive that time in your life? And that wasn't the worst thing I survived. Um, you know, in comparison, but really it was because I had really started to cultivate at a very early age, what hurt felt like and knowing I don't want to be around people who hurt me um, and allowing, I had to learn how to allow people to love me. And I had to work through being in healthy relationships, right. That weren't chaotic and that weren't traumatizing. Right. And so I thank God that at such an early age, I was able to cultivate that and start to learn the difference. This doesn't feel good. I don't want to be around this anymore. These people aren't related to me. They're not related to me by blood. They're not hurting me. And, you know, had to learn how to let them love me, which was a whole, you know, it it was a whole journey that I had to go through, but yeah, that really helped shape, you know, how I navigated those early years. But Danny also choosing not to bring that hurt even, even further in the world and not to perpetuate that in your relationships as a, as a mother, as a wife, as a, as a clinician, like we literally, we work with, individuals who have a tough time right on a regular basis and it is our job to be the calm and the peace in their yep. lives yeah but that's a choice yeah a choice that we yep. have to make it's to a choice. show up and to help try try to enhance their quality of life and this is not just our clients this is our kids like we are two women, like we put our back into parenting. Like we got we to put our foot yes, into it sometimes. Yes, yes. And, you know, like we don't know any other way, but that is a choice. Like there are so many days where I want to lock myself in this room <laughs> with a bottle of wine and all of my favorite shows and yes. tell them not to mess with me. But it, it, it is a choice to be better than the example that and, and, I, and I, I will give it up to my parents. I had great parents. Um, they were not together. They were both in my life, mm-hmm. my entire mm-hmm. life. Um, my mom and dad were, um, funny story. They were married and divorced to each other three times. Are you so that's serious? always fun. 
Three times. Yeah, that's that's always my two two truths and a lie. I love that. <laughs> and are they together now? No, they are not together now. They are both they were both remarried, but everybody just knows the story of Dave and Vanessa, Dave and Van, and they are really good friends. It's just it's just weird. So I just have a weird relationship with trust. Got it. And I'm really good with like, you know what? Let me just dip out. Mm -hmm. This isn't working. Mm -hmm. Um, So just like trying to push away, you know, you know, you mentioned a lot of the, the, the community you had were not biologically related to you. Um, For me growing up, family was everything. I had a Mm -hmm. huge family, my whole family, literally, we all went to the the same church. We were all in the same choir. My granddad was the pastor. Everybody was just there. Right. Um, and you know, I went away to college and then I kind of found myself and I came back and I kind of found my, I found my own. Um, but, but, but with that and still finding my own, sometimes you realize that you can't always conform to what family wants you to do, because a lot of times that is trauma. That right, is, exactly. Um, that, that, that is past trauma that is inadvertently passed on to you saying a child should be seen and not heard. Exactly. Um, don't go in there. I mean, just, 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 just little things that are, that, that I'm choosing not to bring it to my own home. Well, I'm identifying them as harmful, right? Like yes. that's it. Yeah. Yes. Being able to even identify that this hurt me, this stifled me, this taught me right. how not to use my voice. Yes, 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 absolutely. And, you know, there are levels to it. You know, some people feel like, well, I wasn't really in an abusive relationship because no one hit me or right. no one did this, you know, right. but I think the more we talk about it and just like, well, that made me feel uncomfortable. Then someone else can say, hey, well, that made, you know, that like, that's just another layer of it. It doesn't have to be um, just like so blunt and, and, you know, it, it, it could be that microaggression. It could be that uh, death of a million cuts or whatever it is, but let's just identify how that's making us feel and make the choice. Are we going to continue to allow that going forward? Or are we going to set up some boundaries? I have been like the boundary queen ever since the pandemic started. Yeah. Because like, like even before like COVID hit, I felt, I felt like you and I talked about this. I was Mm kind of like a little borderline germaphobic anyway. (laughs) Like I was that girl that was like, you know, uh, wiping the, uh, um, everything everything yeah I was the one holding everyone up on the plane because I had to like absolutely I was wearing a mask before anyone was wearing masks and I was the one like wiping down the plane holding up the line pissing everyone (laughs) off because I was like I'm disinfecting this space I'm gonna be in yes 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 absolutely so you know with the pandemic and the kids being home and really seeing what my son's academic needs are for the first time and running a business. And I'm, you know, just all of that happening. I had to set up boundaries. My, like I said, my body was saying, we are going to have some problems if Mm -hmm. you don't stop. Yep. And for a while, I was a lot of things to a lot of people. I, I am a sister. I am a daughter. I am a a wife. I am a business owner. And then on top of that, I had like multiple side hustles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, 
it's time to set up these boundaries. It's time to heal. It's time to just talk about it, normalize it. Anything you're feeling, like this is what this is for. This That's is like exactly I feel better right. already. I don't know yeah. about you. <laughs> no, this but is I feel great already. No, I think this. Yes, is exactly- but this is only like episode one. I know this is exactly why we wanted to create this space. You know, I think. I'm new to podcasting. Um, I just, you know, I was invited to speak on one a few months ago, late last year, and it changed, it changed um, so much for me. Um, It helped me reevaluate kind of a lot of things that I had going on. Um, And yeah, I think we wanted to intentionally create the space because we're not just talking about behavior analysis, which I think a lot of um, our interactions with podcasts have been up until this point, but really wanted to create a space for women, for women of color, um, you know, for mothers, I think for business owners, just creating a space where we can talk about some of these um, challenges that have come up for us um, and just kind of unpacking it all. And so I am thrilled to be in this space with you, Dom. Uh, I am a fan of yours and have been since the moment that we met. I think next episode, yeah, I think next episode, we're going to get into um, how we came to partner and how we started working together. Um, But yeah, no, I think this was a great first episode. And I think if you continue along this journey with us, you're going to learn more about who we are. Um, Again, and all of the different intersectionalities of how we show up because there are a lot. Um, And so, yeah, we're just really excited. Yeah, we both showed up today in pink. So I know you can't see us, but just in case you were wondering, our glasses are so similar, (laughs) and we got little ponytails. Ponytails, yes. You know, we are just like we are like feeling the vibes right now. We are we are all smiles. We are bubbly. We are two black unicorns for a reason. Yeah, like everything that you think of when you think of the word black unicorns, that's us. We are we are regal. We are strong. We are mystical and resilient. We are strong. We don't know how we are even here right now. I do. I do. It's God. It's God. That's, that's how it's God. By the grace of God, we are here. And again, I'm just, I'm thrilled to be in this space with you and I'm thrilled to continue this journey with you. And, um, I think we're going to figure out like show notes and how to get in touch with us. And so as we are learning the space, we will keep you um, informed. But in the meantime, if you're interested in uh, reaching out to any one of us, you can contact me at daniellebill at gmail.com. That's D-A-N-Y-E-L-L-E. B as in boy, E-A-L at gmail.com. And Dom, how can they reach you if they're interested? You can reach me at dshorter at stbc-llc.com. That's D-S-H-O-R-T-E-R-S-T-B-C-L-L-C.com. Or you can follow me, subscribe to my YouTube channel, Dom, the BCBA consultant, or Dom, the BCBA mom. And I'll just have to share a little bit more about why I have two 
YouTube channels in the future when we talk more about resiliency because yeah. life is not a crystal stair over here, people. Uh, the struggle. The struggle. On it. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, this has been an amazing time with you. Um, I will look forward to talking with you um, and talking about why we decided to create this space to Black Unicorns. So have a great day, Dom. Have a great day um, to all of our listeners. And we can't wait to um, go on this journey with you guys. Thank you. Yes. Bye.